You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Today I don't want you to stand up. I want you to stay seated. And maybe some of you need to keep your heads bowed for a moment as you listen to this because this story is heavy. And though there will be time as we get closer to Resurrection Sunday that we can stand up and read the word again and we can celebrate all that God is doing, we need to be seated. We need to really be on our knees, on our face, to realize that holy God gave us his only son. And this is what he did for us. So stay seated as we hear the word of God. Matthew 27, 32. And they went out, and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. If he trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And here's the verse. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many when the centurion and those who were with him saying keep keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place they were filled with awe and said truly this was the son of God there were also many women there looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this moment. We've had to worship you in spirit and truth. And thank you, Lord, for the joy that we have in you. But today, Lord, as we contemplate how expensive that joy truly is. I pray, Lord, that in these moments that we have together, in these next few moments, 
that you will calm our hearts and minds and let us see you clearly and hear your word. Oh God, please, please touch our hearts. If we have grown cold and indifferent to your gospel, warm our hearts. But for those in this room, Lord, who are one second away from eternity, an eternity separated from you, help them hear your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In life, there are a few seconds that change everything. I think about the second my wife said yes to a marriage proposal. I think about the second I heard my daughter's first cry. I think about the second I heard my son's first cry. I also think about that moment as a teenager when I asked Jesus into my heart. You know, there are many seconds in life, many, many seconds, and every one is precious, but some are more important than others. What if I told you that one second, one second of all the seconds and all of time was more important than all the rest, one truly eternal second, and that second occurred there in verse 50 of our text for today when Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That second was the second that changed everything. That was the second that unleashed a power that is still being felt throughout the world. Ripples through space and time occurred at that moment. A power so magnificent that scientists might call it a singularity. A moment unlike anything else in the world. Scientists define that term singularity as a point at which a function takes an infinite value. So imagine the entire weight of the universe gathered in one tiny spot. That would be a singularity. And that is the moment that we have arrived at in the text of Scripture here today. The one eternal second. I believe in this one second. I believe this with all my heart. I, I know a lot of random facts, but I want to tell you the one fact that means more than any other is this, that in this one second when Jesus died, all the power that was necessary to save every soul, those that had lived, those that were living, those that were yet to be born, every single soul had the power in that moment to be saved because of what Jesus did. From that lonely spot outside the gates of Jerusalem, salvation moved forward and backward in time. And the ability for mortal human beings to be made in, alive in Christ was born. What a beautiful thought. Nothing can escape the pull of this one biblical truth. I'm going to tell you, people in churches, they argue about a lot of uh, details and minor things. But I want you to know this. We cannot compromise on this one point. Jesus died for sinners. And every single person, all sinners in the world, we are all sinful we all have sin in our lives. We will either receive what Jesus did here on the cross for us and go into the light forever and go to eternity, therefore being able to sing as we sang a moment ago, or we are pulled into the darkness because we reject the truth. Last week when we went through the text, I wanted to show you uh, some things as it related to the clothes that Jesus wore. 
But today, our focus is on the clock. Last week it was the close, this week it is the clock. We want to focus on the time elements that are inherent in this text. And the first thing that I want to do is I want to show you uh, with some detail these six hours preceding Jesus' death. Six agonizing hours on the cross. And what's curious about Matthew's description is it says very little about the physical realities of the cross, but it says uh, just uh, reams and reams of paper's worth of, of data as it relates to the spiritual and emotional pain that Jesus experienced. We need to look at his last hours on earth, his last seconds on earth, because it's there that we see the love of God. Next, we will then look at the second the moment when Jesus gave up his spirit. And we will talk about that singularity, that one moment in time that is heavier than all other times in the universe, every other second. And then finally, what we'll see in the text is that a power was unleashed. Did you notice in the text that the physical world shook? That crazy things took place all around Jerusalem? The reason why is because literally time and space had ripples through it it was shook up because of what Jesus had done the evidence was there but at some point in the journey all this that I'm going to talk about has to hit home for you at some point in your life these stories these truths that we talk about in the scriptures that we preach about you need to make them your own you need to believe by faith in the Son of God there is nothing I'm going to share with you today that is mine to give you, but the only thing I have to share with you is from God. I want you to let him feed your heart, and wherever you are, whatever state or status you find yourself in today, I want you to know that this eternal second that Christ gave up his life in this eternal second is eternity for you and for me. Let us believe and be saved. Let's first look at six hours of suffering. Since the time of Einstein, people have taken for granted that time is relative. Time, we are told, can speed up or slow down according to how fast you're traveling through space. Now, many of us are living our lives so fast, that's why it seems like the days are going by too quick. It's because relative to speed, we're going too fast. But we don't need a lesson in advanced physics to understand this. You know that I'm telling you the truth. Just common experience shows you that time is relative. For instance, when you're on vacation, time is going quick. But when you're in pain, when your heart is hurting, time stands still. How we feel, how we feel, as, and when we think about this emotionally and spiritually, how we feel impacts how we discern time. So though Einstein was surely correct when he said that time was relative in the, in, in the eyes of physics, we know in the eyes of just emotions, just the, looking at this with the eyes of emotions, we know how true this is. Well, if that's true, if how we feel impacts how we discern time, imagine how long these six hours were for Jesus. Jesus' suffering on the cross gives all of us access to eternity, but have we considered, have we considered the eternity of suffering inherent in those six hours on Good Friday? Have we taken for granted, brothers and sisters, what Jesus did for us? D.A. Carsons, who is one of the great New Testament minds of our age, he says that in 2,000 years of Christian history, we have domesticated the cross. 
We are familiar with the concept of a crucifixion, but we are in no wise familiar with the sheer brutality and pain of the cross. As we've mentioned, this gospel writer Matthew in particular, he decided not to tell us all the details. As I said a moment ago, he doesn't give us many of the details about the physical realities of the cross. They are left for our imagination. And for many of us, we just don't have the imagination to see it. All it says there in verse 35 is this, and when they had crucified him, that's it. No mention of the shape of the cross because we know the Romans employed all different forms of the cross. How big the nails were, we don't know. How high the cross stood off the ground. Anytime that you see a visual representation of that, either in picture or video, it's a guess. Nobody knows because the gospel writers don't tell us these sorts of details. And the truth is, the reason why no details were necessary is because all of those in Matthew's original audience would have seen many crucifixions there in Palestine. They would have seen many of their own friends and family nailed to crosses. There was no need to go into a, 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 a long diatribe about what's going on on the cross. People knew that. But what we see in Matthew is something quite different. Instead of stating the obvious, the physical realities of the cross... Matthew does something quite amazing. He paints the picture of the behaviors of the people surrounding Jesus' cross. Notice the text again. It's not saying much about the physical reality, but it is telling us much about what was being said and the way people are behaving all around Jesus. Look at the people. They're watching a man suffering, bleeding, and dying on a cross, and they have come all the way out to Golgotha to ridicule him, and to make fun of him. The Hebrew expression of wagging their heads. It just means that they were barking at him. They were, they were just shaking their hands and their fists at him. And I want you to know this. I believe that this pain had to be greater than our sinful hearts can fathom. But I think that this pain had to be greater in some sense than the physical pain. It's not often I do this. But to go into greater detail what I mean by this. Download my sermon from Wednesday night from Psalm 22, and we talk about the emotional pain of the cross. Take some time and do that this week, because I don't have time to go into it here, but I want you to know that the real pain that Jesus experienced in these six hours had more to do with emotional and spiritual suffering. The people he came to die for are there making fun of him. The, 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 the thieves on either side of him are making fun of him. The Roman soldiers are making fun of him. The Pharisees and scribes are making fun of him. People are walking by and making fun of him. It's a sad story. Jesus did not stay on that cross but for six hours. This right here tells us that he is physically already as beat down as a man can be. The Romans used crucifixion because it drug out the death for days. A healthy man hanging on a cross could hang on a cross for five, six, seven days. Jesus only lasts six hours because he'd been scourged, he'd been beaten. He was already weak. It was only six hours, but this is perhaps where there is some mercy. Only six hours because what Jesus is facing is more than physical. It is spiritual. It is emotional. Offers of drinks are given, verse 34 and 48, but they're not given to give him comfort. They're not provided for his comfort, but they are bitter. They are sour. They are there to mock Jesus, even with the offer of a little bit of, of drink. Jesus endured the jeers and the jest for six hours. He had 
the, the placard above his head. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews, surrounded by thieves, surrounded by those who seem to hate him. The book of Hebrews tells us that all this happened outside of the city walls. This is where people were crucified. We know that for a fact from other historical records, but there's more to this. It is a picture of Jerusalem completely rejecting the people of God, the, the Hebrew people completely rejecting Jesus. They won't let him into the city. He is cast outside the gates. The Romans could care less, but the Jewish people had been given this great gift. Jesus had said during his ministry that he came for the lost sheep of Israel, and Israel had clearly said no. This darkness brought great darkness all across the land. The prophet Amos had predicted this. If you have your copy of scripture, Amos 8, Amos 8, in the Old Testament, it's on the screen for you. It says this in verse 9, and on that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. I believe that those words refer directly to Jesus. And for six hours on one Friday, as Max Lucado put it once, Jesus became sin for us, and he took upon his shoulders my sin and yours. I believe that this weight is why the Father turns his face away. This is why Jesus feels God's gaze. For the first time in his, and only time in his life, he felt the gaze of God go away from him. And that's when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lambda sabachthani. And that's not Hebrew, that's Aramaic. And that's important because the scripture is in Hebrew, but he quotes it in his heart language. This is one of the hints that Jesus is in great pain. He knew the Hebrew, but he cried from the heart. And when we cry from the heart, we use our heart language, and that's what he does. He is feeling this distance from Abba, Father, and the only reason that he's feeling it is because he's bearing your sins and my sins. In other words, the real suffering was the sin he bore. And you and I have participated in that part of this pain. This is where... It lands on us. For six hours, he suffered on a hill called the place of the skull. Jesus did have the power to save himself. Verse 49, he was jeered. He did have the power to step down. I want you to notice that Elijah is mentioned there. There's a reason for that. In the Hebrew tradition, Elijah was the one who came and delivered people out of distress. So when those individuals say he's crying out to Elijah, their worldview would have been to think that Jesus would be crying out to a saint, so to speak, for deliverance. That's how they would have seen it. That is not what he's doing. It's actually quite more profound. He is being not neglected, but he is being left alone for just a moment to suffer for us. Jesus chose to use his power, his strength, to remain in a state of suffering for six hours in order to save us. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, take up your cross and follow me. But he also said, the master is not greater than the student. And so he bore the cross first. 
Jesus put the cross on his shoulders. So let me say this to you. Will you bear crosses in this world? No doubt. Pain and suffering and death visit us all. You will hurt. You will suffer. There will be a day when the pain seems so great. And again, I'm not talking about physical pain, but when your heart is broken, when your mind is taxed to the limit, I want you to know in that moment when you feel like you cannot go one more step, remember that Jesus is with you to take you on that step. For six hours on one Friday, he bore that weight for you and me. Let's look very quickly here at the eternal second. With a little bit of math, you will discover that every day you have 86,400 seconds. That means if you are a male, you'll live about 2.3 billion seconds. And ladies, you win at 2.5 billion seconds. Make the most of those extra 200,000, will you? (laughs) A good portion of those seconds are spent in sleep. Many more of those seconds are not lived in any great pleasure or any great pain. But as I shared a moment ago, a handful of those seconds are truly memorable. The things that we sort of hang our lives on. Like if we give our testimony, we're not going to tell about just an average day. We're going to talk about the important things, the, the, those uh, milestones in our lives. But let me tell you this. Only one of those billions of seconds will separate you from this life. Whether you have 2.3, 2.4, 2.5 billion or Less or more. I was just giving you averages. We all have a different number of seconds. I want you to know this. One thing we all hold in common is that one of these days, a second will be your last one. You will close your eyes in this world, and you will be cleaved from this world as we know it, and you will step into eternity. You can't choose that second. But let me show you in the text, Jesus did. In verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The language here shows complete control. Don't think for a moment that Jesus didn't have power. He had power to say when it was finished. If he has power to say when it is finished, he has power to save you. He can do all things. God's word teaches us that the essence that is you Your soul will last beyond your last second of this earth. This world wants you to live it up and make the most of your life. We keep hearing that, don't we? We want our children to have the best of educations. We want them to get good jobs. We want to provide. We want to do all these things. But I want to tell you, none of those things apart from Christ will help you in this last second. We can have everything we want in this world. Look at the world. The world, when they have it all, it seems like they have nothing, and they know it. The poets and the writers and the thinkers and the songwriters listen to those who do not have Christ, and they may have it all, but they know they don't have anything for the second after their last second in this world. Now, let me go back to our singing earlier. I'm supposed to be in New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention. I didn't know New Orleans came here, but it did. There was some some wonderful music going on, wonderful harmony. That's one of the only things I really like about New Orleans. I like to hear the music. Everything else you can have it. But anyway, it was beautiful to hear you sing. Now, I want to tell you, Christianity is a faith that sings because we know something. 
we know that our first second after our last second will be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, the eternal second of Jesus changes everything. The language here reminds us that Jesus is in control. You see, Jesus chose to suffer for the last six hours of his life so that you would not have to suffer for eternity. You see that? Six hours of suffering so that you would not have to suffer. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. That's true for everybody. But this eternal second, it was in this last second that the power of God came into the physical world. It came into the physical world with such power that it moved forward and backward in time. I was sharing earlier about the singularity, those of you who are Uh, maybe scientific or into physics, you know, that idea of a singularity is big in physics. It's kind of like the, the, where everything starts. We talk about that in, in, in some in reference to black holes, but I think it fits better with like the beginning of time and everything that we know, time and space. And yeah, the physical world has a singularity, but I want to tell you, the spiritual world has one too, and it's here on the cross. It's here that the weight of the world The weight of the world, all the sins of the world were on Jesus, all the darkness, all the the, the ugliness of this world. And you have seen some of it, brothers and sisters. You know what I'm talking about. This world is a dark place. He took it all on his shoulders in that moment. And he beat it. He defeated it. We are not defeated, but we are victorious because of this eternal second. Our faith in Jesus changes everything. It energizes us. The Great Commission is possible because we believe in this power, a power that defeated death. Oh, the last enemy to be defeated will be death, but Jesus has gone as far as he needed to go to make sure that in the last day, death will be no more. So now, it's your moment to decide. It's an understatement to say that things happened when Jesus died. Again, the fabric of space and time was shaken in this moment. And the people in Jerusalem actually felt it, saw it. It was physical realities. The earth shook. Notice in the text there. The earth shook. Crazy things are going on here. Uh, They saw the curtain separating uh, the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. It was torn from top to bottom. Verses 51 and following. Notice that. They saw the dead saints come out of the tombs and walk around Jerusalem. And if you want me to explain that to you, I have no idea what that's about. I read about six commentaries. Nobody knew what they were talking about. And I figured I wouldn't try to look like, oh, I know what I'm talking about. The only thing I can figure is this. Any dead body that was righteous anywhere in proximity to Jesus' power unleashed in that moment just had to get up. So that tells me even some of you Baptists might be able to get up someday and get excited about Jesus. When the power of Jesus is unleashed, it's unstoppable. The lame walk again. I believe the dead are risen. You see, the power of God, and I know a lot of people are talking about the power of God, but I want you to know this. The power of God I'm talking about is the power unto salvation. 
I believe the greatest feat of energy in the world is to watch a person who's been living in the grip of the devil come around and come to Jesus. That's the miracle we want to see. Day after day after day, people being saved. Now what God does, like for instance in this text, my mind, I can't get my mind around this. You know why I can't get my mind around this? Because God's mind is far beyond my mind. It's not our job to try to figure out what God is doing. It's our job to be faithful. It's our job to be faithful in the moment and true to the word, true to our salvation, and filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know, Jesus' death, his eternal second, had a profound effect, impact, on reality as we know it. The world we know could not remain the same. Let me say this to you. If Jesus really gets a hold of you today, or if he really has in some other day, some past day, got a hold of you, you can never be the same again. And let me tell you what scares me about the church today is that there's too much sameness. There's too much sameness. It looks like many of us are no different than we were before this all began. We have a testimony. We can talk about a day when we ask Jesus into our heart. The problem is, is that we look the same as we did before. Now, I want you to know something. If that's true, sometimes we can have what Baptists call backsliding. I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on. But I want you to know you can't backslide forever. You've got to start moving forward again someday. You need to be dissatisfied with moving backwards when you have a Jesus that loves you this much. There is a moment to decide today, and we must decide for him. For those of you who do not know him, decide into salvation. And for those of you who are sliding back, know this. God wants you to live for him. Something profound happened in that eternal second. And you need to decide. I'm going to turn back one page with you. Matthew 26, 26. This is the passage where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, but I want you to hear the covenant. You see, a new covenant came when Jesus died, and it flows from the cross. Notice this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take it, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And seconds are ticking away, brothers and sisters. Jesus' eternal second, his death, can change everything in your life. Not just here in this world, but for eternity. Will you in this second, decide to follow Jesus? Will you in this second believe that the power of God to forgive you for your sins was unleashed on Calvary's cross? What will you do with this second? This is your moment to decide. Because one day, the clock will stop ticking. And all that matters then is the eternal second. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. 
For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.